Welcome to Texing 88, firing on all cylinders and raring to go. On a disgusting, rainy, grey, drizzly day in Southern California, I'm Justin Vincent. And I'm Jason Roberts. <laughs> Is this our new intro? <laughs> yeah. hey, I just thought I'd throw you a curve. We'll see what you do. I'm glad I was paying attention. Um, yeah, it's kind of the, uh, the style of... Uh, was it DH Unplugged? Do you, do you, you know that, sh- that podcast with Dvorak? I, I don't know that, no. It's, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the guys, Horowitz and Dvorak. They, they basically talk about financial stuff, financial news. It's kind of like no agenda, but instead of talking about just random stuff, it's all about financial things. Okay. Do you listen to that much? Uh, it's, on my, it's, on my, it's one of my subscriptions. I mean, I have like 30 podcasts, and there are some that I, that I have on that I listen to only every once in a while. I'm just sort of not in the mood for the other things. Uh, there's not that many that I, I that I really look forward to. There's a lot that are okay. It just kind of depends on the mood. But I get that way with TV shows too. You know, like we have a, we have like a bunch of them recorded, and I'm just we'll be you know it'll be it'll be you know in the evening and we're sitting down eating some dinner, and Sandy will be like, well, "What do you want to watch?" And I'm just like, "I don't know." <laughs> just hmm. I just have a hard time committing to you know an hour long show sometimes. So. I'm just thinking what an awesome interview we did with David Cancel that we're going to be releasing on Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was so awesome. I think it's possibly the most valuable interview we've done <laughs> as a single that. one. <laughs> I know, but they just seem to get better and better. That's so funny. This is the seminal interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, seriously, I, I, would, I think we would have to be freaking Egypts not to start a successful business with the knowledge that we have now. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I mean, you can imagine in your life when you've had the opportunity to sit down to someone who's been through an experience that you're about to embark on and have like a have like dinner with them. Right. And they spend like an hour and a half telling you all the inside secrets of what they just did. Yeah. We get to do that like every week. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and it's sort of like we're doing a Ph.D. in business building. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. And the funny thing about it is that you're always sort of like, you know, I'll tell you. Who, who we have on deck to interview. And you're like, who? <laughs> Why are we interviewing them? <laughs> I'm like, trust me. <laughs> it's going to be good. Of course, I never know for sure. I just sort of have a, a sense that, there's, that whoever we're ha- going to interview is going to be interesting. And luckily, it's, uh, it just keeps working out. That we've at least, um, the l- I'll publicly give you credit for finding good guests. Okay? You do a good job. Oh, thank you. Thank you very Pat much. Back. <laughs> I just... Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, that they I end up reading a blog post by them or something and if if I read a blog post by someone and they have an interesting point of view and they've done some interesting stuff or they're working on an interesting um product or you know, open source software or something then then I'll I'll check them out and I'll go, "Okay, then I'll kind of bookmark them like this this might be someone worth talking to." And if it's the kind of person that I've I've listed then I keep coming back to them going, "Yeah, you know, it's funny because I mean it's a very risky way of doing it when you think about it because the skill of you know speaking and orating and is is not something that everyone has so we've been pretty lucky to get good speakers you know people yeah. who, who are good you know good communicators via audio <laughs> yeah I guess yeah it's not like we do an audio audition <laughs> no no exactly but we talk to them we're like eh we'll pass <laughs> but uh, yeah it worked out I think the David Cancel one went really well and uh, I think I think people are going to be excited about that one the Luke um, Robloski, Robluski, uh, yeah, Robluski. Um, yeah, he was 
he was uh, really sharp. I mean, he knows his stuff. He's a true expert. So it was that was great that that one worked out. And the funny thing is, a lot of these people, they're not that famous. They're not of like the top 50 people that everybody knows. It's not like we're interviewing Joel Spolsky or interviewing, you know, David Hanemeyer Hansen or something. It's like, there's there's like 50 or so people that have shown up on Mixergy and on, I don't know, any of these other podcasts. And we've all kind of heard them before. We know they're interesting. We know they're interesting. We know they're smart. We know that they express themselves well. Express themselves well. Um, but uh, these, there's, there's a ton of other people that are really interesting that uh, are just sort of out there. And it's, if, I don't know. I think it's a good approach. It, it kind of makes me feel like texting is an indie band yeah. compared to uh, you know one of these more commercial bands. So I, I, I like I like the kind of guests that you're bringing on. Well, keep it up. Well, keep going. I like talking. Well, thank you. I I will try. I I, I like to mix it up. Like I, you know, Derek Sivers, Gabriel Weinberg, uh, Patrick McKenzie, the, those types of guests. I mean, they're they're high profile, right? And and those are the kind of people who you'll hear interviewed on other shows. Um, so you want to talk to them too because they they were fascinating guests. But then there's these other people who, who have a little lower profile. They're just as sharp, and they've done just as much interesting stuff. It's just they're not um, t- as, as uh, out there in terms of getting interviewed. So so listen, just before we get, get any further, I want to say that um, today the, the executive producer for this show, who donated 50 bucks to us, mm-hmm. who went to textinglive.com forward slash donate and gave us money, is the executive producer, James Robert. Thank you very, very much. We really appreciate that. Awesome. And um, we have a, a shout out. Uh, we got a 10 buck donation from Michael Green. Oh, that's great. So, um, so we got 60 bucks in total. But that's, that's not to say that we aren't completely appreciative of it. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, I'm on my new, I'm on my new audio equipment right now. Right. So this is, is going to be the, the first podcast that people are going to hear the new audio. Yeah, it's a shame that it's nine in the morning and that I'm so completely tired, so my voice sounds like someone with a hangover. But apart from that, I sound like a really good quality ha- voice with a hangover. <laughs> right, so the, um, the hiss is gone, as far as you can tell. There's still going to be... I mean, for, if you're a real audio... Here's, here's the thing. If, you've, if, you're wearing, if you're just listening through, say, laptop speakers, you, you won't notice much of a difference. But if you're wearing good headphones or putting it through good speakers, then you will notice a difference. And um, there will be, there will definitely be less hiss. But the main thing is, is that I don't have to sit here holding my Mac for the entire show, right? Because beforehand, the, the, the ground loop or the audio buzz was so bad that I had to actually always, at all times have my hand on the Mac Just to, ground to stop a buzz coming through. <laughs> is it grounded it or something? I, something like that. I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I actually don't know why. I don't know what the technical reason is. But whenever I took my hand off the Mac... It just had a big buzz, which I then would have to edit out. So it's great for me to be able to at least kind of look out the window <laughs> right. or move around a little bit, you know. Well, let me ask you this. The, you had to spend time editing out the hiss, though, didn't you? Didn't it take a lot of time? Uh, yeah, it did. So, so this is, this is going to really help me in terms of the amount of editing that I need to See, do. That's a bigger is deal it, than me. I mean, if you, have to, if you have to hold the Mac for the, an hour and a half interview, I mean, that's kind of annoying, but that's not like you're wasting time but if you're if you have to spend like an extra hour hour and a half editing out the hiss which is i think is the number you told me before that's well, a huge well, waste of time was, was what it was was that basically as it records the audio it records more pops and hiss because it's it, of that lower quality mic and the setup and then when you shove it through levelator levelator tries to bring all the noises to the same level so levelator generally makes your voice sound good but the problem is because the other one had so many hiss and pops those would the level of those would be brought way up there. So 
the time I would then be spending is editing those out. So that's kind of a second secondary issue to his. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so now I don't have to do either of those things. Well, so how much time will it save you, do you think, on your editing process? I, I'm pretty sure it's going to save me at least half an hour a show now. Half an hour a show. I've, so it's an hour a week. I've gotten pretty fast at, at editing that other stuff. Out. So an hour a week, four hours a month. Yeah. That's, that's a lot yeah. of time, really. Yeah. And just just make the quality better. I mean, it's just going to sound better. It's going to sound more more high quality. I mean, I've got one more upgrade that I want to do, mm-hmm. which is get a, a, a mic preamp. Um, which is going to cost me like seven hundred bucks, but that's going to be my own personal expense. I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to do that through <laughs> through donations because that's me being very finicky. Yeah. But um, but yeah. No. Once I do, I, I'm just going to get the mic preamp that I used to have when I was in the UK. And once I've got that, then it, it's going to be indistinguishable from any any other radio show. Well, I like it that you're so finicky about the audio because that's what's making it better and better. If you didn't really care, the audio would not have improved since much since the very first show. It's funny, it's sort of like, you know, the reaching the speed of light, you need to put more and more energy, like it's exponential, right. the closer you get to it. It's, just, it's a similar kind of thing with audio quality, like the closer you get to perfect quality, you need to spend more and more money. Like, so once I spend the 700 on the mic preamp, if I want to then go past that, then I'm, I'd have to like spend 10,000 or something. Yeah, I think it's, I think you want to follow the 80-20 rule, like where can we get 80% of <laughs> absolute high fidelity without breaking the bank, you know, without so with right. spending in the hundreds of dollars as opposed to the thousands of dollars. So I think if yeah. I was telling somebody, if somebody was new and they said, oh, I want to start our own podcast, I'd say use, if you're on a Mac, use Call Recorder and use uh, Skype. And yeah. you'll be in call quarters, 20 bucks and, and have one for, if you're whoever your co-host is, have each, each have a copy. So spend 40 bucks and each buy like a 40, uh, a $40 headset. And That'll definitely get you started. And I think that will be as good, if not better quality than our first few shows. Yeah. Yeah. And then the next step is what you're doing, which is buy it's about $500 on the uh, audio. Yeah. Basically getting it's good. It's a good um, digital to analog converter to get from the mic into the computer and then a good mic. Right. And that's what we'll be buying for you. But first of all, we will be upgrading the the look and feel of the website. Um, so to actually tell tell people about the... Who's that guy that I really want to get on? Mickey... I, I, I always pronounce his name wrong. It's Mickey Okaku. Okay, Mickey Okaku. Uh, Mickey Okaku. Okaku. I, I, I really want to get this guy on and I really want you to invite him, but you're like, I don't want to invite him until we get, until we have okay, a professional Okay, he, he's a, uh, a famous uh, string theorist, physicist, um, and he has a TV show called Sci-Fi Science on Discovery Channel. He has a uh, national public radio show called Explorations. He's written a number of books like Hyperspace. So he's a really high-profile guy. He looks like a really yeah. nice guy, but I mean... I, I don't know. With somebody who has that kind of a visibility already, I just get a sense that they're not going to be that interested in doing uh, an interview on a show that has, you know, uh, you know, a hundredth or, or maybe a thousandth of the reach that they have just doing their normal thing. And I, th- I just think that we'll, for us to get someone on like that, we're going to have to really put our best foot our best foot forward in terms of you know what they see when they get an email from us and they take a look at our site and i don't know maybe they don't spend a lot of time you know why you know why i disagree with that because of of the music world like guys like bob dylan or who you know whoever you want to name these big guys one of their favorite things to do is to work with new guys newcomers because it makes them feel fresh it makes them feel like they're kind of getting back to their roots a little bit 
So well, you know, I, you you might be right. You know, I've been wrong before. I mean, I, you got John C. Dvorak to come on. I thought there was no shot in hell that would happen. So you thought we, you were the one who set the donation drive. I thought there's no way we were, we were going to have anybody donate any money. So you proved me wrong there. So I'm clearly a little more pessimistic about some of these things than you are. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Okay, I tell you what. If all we have to do is once we get the new website up, I'll do it then. Okay, I won't. Push oh god. It. Okay. Look. Well, in that case, look. Uh, I do hope that you can go. You guys at home can bug in some more money, and uh, we will. Uh, we'll upgrade the website and we'll start to go for these. Once we get a, yeah. Once we get guys. a new look. I mean, I won't push it off for like three years or something. But once we have a new show, then I'll I'll I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um. You know. You never know. Maybe. Maybe. I'll- so it turns out that I'm I'm winning the blog race. You are. <laughs> how many? How <laughs> I'm many doing subscri- pretty well. How many subscribers do you have? Okay. Six. Okay, I got forty-five. I think so. I'm killing you. All right, killing you. Well, I, well, who <laughs> spent who spent the entire of yesterday on the front of Hacker News? Was that yesterday? No, oh, I have fifty-seven. That was the day before. Sorry, I have fifty-seven subscribers. Who spent the whole? Who That's spent an the entire day? In fact, longer than a day on Hacker News. Who was it? Me or you? That was you. But you know, okay. First of all, let's just say I have an order. <laughs> I'm, back I'm to taking subscribers. So that's really the only important <laughs> benchmark, I think. People who are who are who have just said, "All right, this is good stuff. I'm in." But all right, I'll, I'll give you this. So what you did is <laughs> you aggregated twelve of our shows. You created what, what was what you described as a twelve-hour seminar and uh, starting a business and startups. Yep. And you took like interviews with Luke and Patrick McKenzie and uh, Gabriel Weinberg and, and guys like that. And you kind of organized them into sections and, and you submitted the Hacker News. And what was the title? How to start a web... Um, I can't remember it word for word, but it was something along the lines of how to start a successful web app bootstrapped. Yeah, so, okay. So, so That okay, was a now great just, idea, which of course wasn't let me just <laughs> Let me just fess up a little bit, right? Let me just fess up. The idea wasn't mine. It was Sebastian's, <laughs> right? The content wasn't mine. It was ours. I'm basically taking the idea of outsourcing to a whole new level. I'm going to beat you at a blog race with your own content. <laughs> I, I think what it is is um, repurposing of content. <laughs> it's like the greatest hits, the greatest hits idea. Right. Well, it was a good idea. Well, Sebastian, thank Yeah, Sebastian, thank you. <laughs> well, Sebastian's a smart guy, so it doesn't surprise yeah. me that he, he he came up with a good idea. He comes up with a lot of good ideas. I, I, yeah, he does, he, yeah. What was the name for his uh, his machine learning, his AI library? Cerebro. God, that's such a cool name. I love that name. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a very clever guy, so uh, I, no wonder you're... Uh, You've uh, decided to work with him on Swarm and your other um, secret project. But, um, yeah, the idea of taking the content you have and really trying to squeeze as much juice out of it as you can is is a good one. Because a lot of times people create good stuff. I mean, and, okay, let's look at the very extreme case. You create some great software and you never even put it up on the web or tell anyone about it. Right? That's the worst case mm-hmm. where you don't get any juice out of stuff that you've done. But if you put it up on the web, you share it, maybe you write tutorials, you talk about it, and you get use out of it. And the same thing goes for audio or blog posts or whatever. I mean, you can spend a lot of time creating um, creating great stuff, but if you don't do a good job of, of, of sharing it or figuring out how to get it out to the world, then you're really not uh, giving allowing it to live up to its potential. So I think it's a really good idea that you did that. And there's probably a lot of other ideas that we can use like that. That was smart. I think yeah, I think there's probably other ways that we can think of using using our content. Um, we we were we were contacted by we got some good contacts through that. One of them was by a company called SoundCloud.com, 
who uh, were just in discussions with about the idea of them hosting the show. Uh-huh. So we'll see where that goes. Um, that could be an interesting little partnership. Well, you know, no, two things I want to say about uh, this topic still is one was Andrew Warner commented. He just, his oh, yeah. was just cool. <laughs> but, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, but I started thinking, I said, I will bet you that Andrew Warner within the next six to 12 months will do something similar because he has hundreds of interviews with startup founders. Yeah, and he could very easily repurpose that content, put them into seminars by grouping them like you did, and maybe even sell them as some kind of I don't know audiobooks or whatever. I mean, he could do stuff like that, and I'll and I'll bet you that that might have helped give him the idea. Well, you know, we we could do that as well. Just in terms of audiobooks, I was thinking that if if we were to outsource it, we could basically get editors to go through and put put you know arrange some of the stuff we were talking about intersections mm-hmm. and um, set up an audio book. The reason why I say outsourcing it is because I don't think I can be bothered to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got to wait. We could probably wait till we have some more interviews. I mean, you know, we don't, yeah. we, Andrew does like three interviews a week. We do like, does he? Yeah. He does a lot. Oh, he's wow. crazy. That's why he has so many interviews. He started not too long before we did, maybe six months before, but he just, he does. You need to get him on the show. Yeah, we could bring him on. He, he, I met him. I've told you I've met him once. He was a nice guy. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, maybe we can get him on. That might be kind of a fun interview. All right. Well, do you have anything? What you got? Sure. I'll tell you. You know, we start with. Um, oh, you know what I was going to say is um, we should come up with. I had an idea for a new segment called I Predict. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we come up with some talk and topic, and we both make a prediction on it, and yeah. we just you know see what happens it'll be a fun thing to just kind of see our you know test our powers of prediction so is your is your prediction the andrew warner one i just thought we could do that one will andrew warner within let's say let's take six months make it interesting will he well if it wasn't going to he will now because he listens to our show does he yeah okay well let's see let's see <laughs> it's like well it's sort of like the uh you know, you look at a system by, by simply uh, observing a system, you affect the system. So the Heisenberg or the Schrodinger's cat or something like that. Or, Heisenberg. or Andrew, we're expecting some kind of kickback. <laughs> so if Andrew Warner, uh, <laughs> I predict within six months, Andrew Warner, Warner is going to do some kind of collected greatest hits thing. What do you think? Do you right. predict with? Yeah. But yeah, no, sure. you got to take the opposite side. We can't oh, both predict uh, it. No, Jason. No. <laughs> No. Okay. I don't predict that. I think that is a bad idea. Okay. Here, 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 not going to happen. Never going to happen. No, here, here we go. Now, here we go. You take like the over, like, I, I, you remember like the price is right type thing, like yeah. predict a price and then if you're higher or lower. So yeah. I'll pick six months and you can either go higher or lower. You will do okay. it before six months or after six months? Which after six months. Yeah, it's probably safer. You're probably going to be right. Okay. That was a lot of fun. That sucked. You're no fun. Okay, but we'll just have to we'll just have to find something that's better. Okay. okay. Here's a uh, here's another one. I was I, I've been playing with a, a couple of different potential blog posts. Oh yeah. And uh, I'm going to write one this weekend. I meant to write one this week, but I got so bogged down with work and stuff that I just didn't get it finished. But I got a couple, so I'm going to just sort of talk them out here, and I thought that might be kind of fun. Cool. The one is going to be called "How I Get Freelance Contracts." Which yeah, that's a good one. I think that'd be kind of interesting. And because <laughs> it's funny, I don't know how I get them really. All I can tell you is how they happened. Yeah. But it's not like, because I had read an, a couple articles, one I think by Ryan Wagoneer, who um, he's, he's, he's been getting some um, 
attention lately um, in the blogosphere, and he's writing a lot. And one thing he says is that he'll go on Craigslist and he'll kind of a numbers game. Like he'll he'll go and, and filter through to the, what he looks look like high quality contracts, and he'll send them an email and uh, talking about what he could do for them, and you know some percentage of them work out. And mm-hmm. like, and that was sort of like a good plan, a good starting point. So if you don't have um, a big reputation and a lot of sort of existing contents and you'll have referrals working for you, that would be a good way to get started. And you've done that through free, uh, Elance in the past, right? Yeah. Oh, I've, I've had loads of success through Elance. Right. So, uh, if, uh, but I haven't ever done that. <laughs> Actually, right. um, yeah, I, I've never, I, all I've done is, I first thing I did when I first started consulting, which is like, it's coming up on two years now. I think it was like um, about yeah, 20 months ago. And when I first started freelancing, and first thing I did is I just kind of sent an email to maybe a dozen or so people who I knew that were in the technology space and said, hey, you know, I'm um, starting freelance work. I'm available. I'm looking for projects of, you know, this type. And I don't think any of those panned out. Nothing. Everybody was like, oh, yeah, good luck. <laughs> Right. So there was nothing. And then I happened to go to lunch with a friend of mine who I play basketball with and he owns a a distribution company. And we were at lunch and I just he was just asking me what I was doing. I said, oh, you know, I'm going to start freelancing. He's like, oh, you know, maybe we could have you help us. We need to rewrite an internal system that does X, Y, Z. And I ended up talking to their CTO and I did some stuff for them. And then another company called me up and based on what I'd done on Prezo, wanted me to create like a, a WYSIWYG designer for them for their product. And another company wanted me to build something based on Prezo. And uh, so those are kind of things that came to me. Because of, well, really because of the whole lock surface area thing, because Prezo was out there. Well, and I've, I've had very similar experience because of Plugio. I mean, my, <clears throat> my current role uh, in myvibo.com is because of Plugio. Yeah, same, same as what you just it's, described. Yeah. Exactly, and so the first one was just because someone I happened to, you know, because you always you you joke or you think it's funny how I talk to all these random people at the right, right. Yeah, I get to know a lot of people that way, just people I meet and just drag up conversations with and become friends with. So, um, so that was my first three contracts, and then another big contract was to a friend of mine who was the, the trading software stuff that I was doing mm-hmm. for about a year. And he needed me to help him out with that. So I did that for a while. So that was sort of like a, an existing relationship. But I've recently had a few where um, uh, they've just been, uh, let's see, I, a, a friend of mine who's a quant, well, he's not a quant anymore. He's, he's a stay-at-home dad. Um, but he used to, yeah, he's funny. He is a PhD in math from Cornell and a master's in financial engineering from Berkeley. Worked at Goldman Sachs for a while and then got laid off with the whole financial crunch. And his wife mm-hmm. works as a chemist and really likes his job, or biochemist or something in New York, which she really likes. And so, and they just had a baby. So he's like, you know, I'll just stay home. So, and, so what's the what's the hook for the blog post? Oh, wait, let me tell, the, let me just tell you this. So he so yeah. he just put my name to told a, a guy he knew that I would that I also did mobile apps. And yeah. this guy's got me. Looks like two contracts, two iPhone Android contracts in the last couple yeah. weeks. So I'm saying it's like I don't know what the secret is. All I can say is all I can sort of surmise from it, thing to do is you know, if you if you have stuff that you've built or building stuff, put it up on the web so people can see it and hope that as many people see it as possible so that people will come to you as a result of that. Um, the other thing is just make sure everybody you know and meet kind of know what your skills are and, and that you're available and looking for work. And especially in things like mobile where there's a lot of demand. So is the hook going to be the kind of 
that it'll that it's funny and and how you write it and and what what's the hook going to be of the title? To I was just going to say, it, it, one, it's just kind of random. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of the luck surface area thing, right? It's a right. result of the luck surface area. But I'm just yeah. saying, it's like I don't really know the answer. I don't think anyone has their secret. There are tricks you can use. There are things like going on on uh, Craigslist and Elance and things like that, which you which you should do if you don't have any contracts. But um, I, I'm not exactly sure. I'm sure there's a lot of different tricks you can use, and I don't. I've I have not personally employed any of them. Yeah. I think that as long as you write it well, it could go somewhere. I mean, it's not it, like it doesn't seem to have the same level of catchiness as some of the other stuff that you're talking about, like mm-hmm. how I failed my Google acquisition, you know, and um, the luck surface area. Although even that one didn't work work out for you because someone else had already done that. Um, no, 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 that didn't affect it. Lance, who wrote the sort of precursor to it, or he yeah. he just referenced it, so it didn't um, it didn't hurt oh, at okay. all. It it actually sort of made people wonder what the hell is this log surface area term Mm. so So what's your what's your other idea your other Um, idea the other one so this is uh, the 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 one i'm going to probably work on this weekend is going to be um how i ended up sleeping on mike harrington's couch (laughs) yeah that'll be good yeah and i i I think i've told that story before so i'm not gonna tell it again i'll let people read the blog post but um the other one that I kind of started on, which I, th- I just because I was thinking about it, was called um, uh, entitled. The working title is "Communication Techniques That Deliver Results," mm. and you know I had a better. I, I don't know. I haven't sure if that's the best t- uh, title yet, but that's it. So here's here's the way it works: it, is you know people are trying to figure out like how they message on their website, like how do they communicate with people, with customers, with users to try and get people to take action. But that's mm-hmm. that's an important thing. You're trying to get people to do stuff. Sign up, you know, for your service, your your SaaS product, or uh, you know, use your product, or or, or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to get people to do something. Well, how do you get people to do stuff? And it's through communication and and and, and making people um, sort of aware of what it is that you have and why it's invaluable. But people talk about that all the time, but it, it's not. It, I don't think it, it's sort of abstract, and, and, and stories help a lot better, I think. And I discovered a technique, I don't know, a series of techniques that worked for me when running my soccer team. So I've, as I've talked about on the show before, I've, you know, I've, I've run for about 10 years a, a men's sort of you know, amateur slash semi-pro soccer team, right? And mm-hmm. at one point, we were one of the best teams in the country, and we, you know, we were even invited to we scrimmage the uh, a major league soccer team a few years back and did a lot of cool stuff. So anyway, when I started the team back in 2000, it was kind of funny because you know all these guys that I recruited. I mean, these guys are really good players. A lot of ex professional players or who are right at the level of almost being professional, and they were they had all experience. Yet, let them had more experience than me because I had never even played any kind of pro. I played college, but I hadn't played pro, so it was. Gonna, it, I felt like it was going to be weird to just stand up in front of them and and do this grandstanding coaching, sort of like this is what we need to do, rah rah rah, you know. But uh-huh. you kind of have that template in your head, like you just get everybody in group and you kind of get everybody revved up and you tell them what the plan is. Okay, and I eventually got myself to do that. It was funny because Sandy said, "You know, you need to go talk to the guys. You need to tell them what 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 they need to do." Right? <laughs> and I was sort of hesitant at first to do it. Eventually, I got comfortable with it. But one thing I noticed is it didn't really affect anything, whether I talked or didn't talk. You know, whether I said this is what we need to do or I just, you know, didn't say anything. But one thing I discovered worked was this. So this is probably a few years in. 
maybe three or four years into the, ha- having the team. And we were playing against one of the best teams in the state. They had a bunch of professional players on there, really good. And we were running it, we were playing against them in the state cup tournament. And we'd played against them before, so I knew the team. And I, we had never beaten them before. And, um, but I, I, since I knew, since we played them before, I knew how they played. I knew how their machine worked. And they had one guy in the center of the field who was sort of like their pivot guy. Every attack went through him. He was sort of the field marshal. Okay. And so I was like, you know, if we can stop him, his name was Shy. If we can stop, if we can shut down Shy, we can stop the machine. And so I went to um, my friend Mark, who you've met, um, who's a fast, strong, very fit athlete who's extremely competitive and he isn't the most skilled player on our team but he had these other attributes and i said look mark so i went to him i singled him out and i said mark listen the only way we're going to win this game is if we shut down shy what i need you to do is to stay on him and disrupt his play don't let him touch the ball make his life very difficult for the next hour and a half just don't don't let him get off an easy pass try and keep him from getting the ball i don't care i don't care about anything else that happens on the field just make his life hell for the next hour and a half. Okay. And so what I did is I, is a couple things, you know, I selected, I said, all right, I selected my audience, right? Number one, select your audience. I went to Mark. He, he was the right guy for the job. There are other guys who are more skilled and technical, but they weren't going to really do that. They were going to concentrate more on scoring or, you know, doing some other things. I knew they wouldn't be able to focus in on that. Two, I explained the problem. I, I explained that the only way we're going to win is if we shut down this guy. Okay. The second thing is I kept it short. I didn't tell him 10 things we need to do. Like, oh, you know, we need to do this, and we need to distribute the ball, we need to play defense. I just said, shut him down. I don't care you do it, right? And the fourth thing is I make it personal. You are the only guy. We're on the third thing. That was the third? One was select your audience. So. Two was explain your problem. Three was keep it short. Okay. was make it personal, okay? He was the only guy to do it, and five was call to action. I need you to do it. If you can do it, we're going to win the game. And okay. That's exactly what happened. We beat the Lasers, and we progressed to the tournament, and they were this great team. We had never done anything before. And so ever since then, what I would do is rather than, you know, kind of think of what I wanted to say at halftime or before the game started and kind of stand up front of everybody and run my mouth for 10 minutes or five minutes trying to tell everybody what we're going to do. I mean, I would do a little bit of that just because everybody expects that and just say, hey, guys, you know, blah, blah, you know. And people just kind of just, just general sense of, you know, the team. And say, oh, let's you know, let's do X, Y, and Z. But I know in the, in reality that doesn't really turn into anything. So what I do is I go pick out a handful of players who I think are going to be very pivotal in the game. And Select I, your audience. I, yeah, and I do that exact thing. I say, listen, you know, I'll tell one guy, look, you need to get the ball to Jack in the flanks. Their their defender's weak. He's going to be able to take him in the flanks. I want you define to define the problem. That's right. Def- select your audience. Explain the problem or define the problem. Keep it short. Make it personal. Call to action. And it works. And I think that's cool. exactly what you want to do when you're creating your software is you want to keep it short. Because you know, when you send an email to a bunch of people or you write a blog post that's not really, you know, that's long and complicated and it's to everybody, it's just nothing happens. You know, you have to do it. I don't know when I send an email out to, like, for instance, even the soccer team itself, I'll send an email blast, say, hey, guys, you know, we got a tournament come up, coming up. Who's in? Let me know. And sometimes it takes a while to hear back to everybody. But if I send a specific email that's short and I go and I'll say, hey, Mark, are you going to be able to play in Santa Barbara tournament in two weeks? Please get back to me. And he'll get back to me right away, right? Simple, short, right to him. Okay, so select your audience, define the problem, ask them to do something, keep it short. Yeah, make it personal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. I think that's it. So I think that's going to be, I think, what do you think for a blog post? Think that's worth blog post? I think it's good. I think it's good. Um, 
you need to be you, you i mean obviously it's going to be in the writing of it and you're going to spend like four hours editing it and i think that is, it's it's going to be good once you're done it's going to be very good i don't mean that to be insulting in any way right no well, that's why i said i'm talking it out that's why i brought it up yeah, yeah. talking out talking it out but i think it's worth talking about because i think it, it's these are important things to keep in mind if you're trying to get people to do something i think it's very i mean it's very good it's it's funny how it can be distilled into just you know, very simple bullet points. Yeah. And, um, and just, I just think even when people are sending emails out to friends, like when you, you ever get a mass email and you can tell, yeah. if I, even if I send an email to like, you know, we've been talking about getting this Adaptix, um, little consulting group going. If I send yeah. a mass email out to four of you or to, it's the three, just the three of you, right? Yeah. I think the chance that you're going to respond quickly and take action is about a third the chance. And if I was directly, I say, Hey, Justin, yeah, no, of course. Can you do X? So you can take the you can take the um, the message and divide the probability they're going to take action by the number of people you send it to. <laughs> so people, if, yeah, but how are you going to? I mean, okay, look, let's let's talk about a website, right? How are you going to say, you know, if I come to your website, how are you going to say, hey, Justin? Well, I think I think you see that they do that a lot when they do like um, when people have search terms and they can segment their audience based mm-hmm. on search terms. They can they know that, you know how to do A/B testing. So if you're a designer or you're searching for design then maybe you get a slightly different look and feel for your landing page or for your home page than if um, somebody is searching for uh, software development or something and, and it still leads to the same product. They're, they're, two, at, they're two different demographics, but they're both going to be interested in your pro- and what your, you know, what your software does. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, it's just, yeah. So, okay, oh, uh, next. Next. Oh, um, I got one. I got another good one. Open good, I because I, I don't actually have, oh, I've got, no, I've got one more. Because I basically started out the whole show with all my stuff, right? I've got one more after that. Right. <laughs> so let's hope we can meander to a few places. Yeah, we'll get some. Open ID is a nightmare. It was a blog post. Oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting. And it's Tell interesting because the, the guy was talking about, the, um, let's see, uh, it's at weekroad, um, W-E-K-E road.com, blog.weekroad.com by Rob Connery is the, uh, the blogger. And it's funny because he starts talking about how he ran into the problem at Stack Overflow, which is exactly what I did because Stack because Jeff Atwood is a huge proponent of OpenID and on all. Yeah. And so, you know, I set up an account with one OpenID provider or something, and then I come back for a month, and then I think I did it again with like Google or something, and now I have like two or three separate accounts, and I can't remember what the accounts were because I can't remember which pass email I used because I got three different emails, just like he said he had, and it's a nightmare. Yeah. It just, just turned the whole thing and turned to a nightmare. And he came through the whole problem. He said it was just a real pain um, for him on Stack Overflow. But then he said that's not the biggest problem. It's at his own startup, he, um, he, people were getting frustrated because people were running into the same sorts of problems. He's like, the worst thing you want to do for your startup is have the front – people can't even get in. The front door is locked. Because mm-hmm. he, he says the last thing you want to do is you want to frust- is frustrate people, but even worse than that is make people feel stupid. If people can't even remember their login or can't log in, you're making them feel stupid and you're frustrating them and you're really pissed. Yeah, but people get angry. I mean, and I'm not kidding, angry if you don't have open ID. Like certainly that you know, there's there's a select group of developers, I'm guessing, because of the theory of it. So I mean I've got quite a few very angry emails. But the question, one thing you got to be careful though, is you don't let the 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 noisy few determine the road for everybody, right? Because yeah, you can true. have a few really angry developers who are really um, sort of taking this sort of you know they they're like the principle of it, you know everything. Yeah, it's open the ID. principle. Yeah, it's like well, look, I don't really care about that. I care about most of my users, the vast majority of my users having a, a, an easy experience with getting in and using the software. 
if three of you are really pissed off because I didn't do X, Y, and Z, well, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I, well, I don't know. I mean, basically, I, the, the thing I feel about it is the front door of Plugio, the, the, the subscription system. Sorry, my cat's just climbing up the wall. And I mean, literally climbing up the wall. What the hell? Okay, sorry about that. That was just weird. I've never seen him do that before. Uh, basically, I don't really want people to come in via Facebook. I mean, I don't want that kind of association. I just want them to have an account on Plugio. Right. Yeah, I, I know because you know you, because now it's like it's it's you have the uh, you know log in using Twitter or Facebook or Google or Yahoo or OpenID, and it's just it's it's the same thing. It's like you know, people have a blog, you know, on their blogs they have like you know Reddit and Dig and StumbleUpon and this and that. And it's just annoying. It's just like it's like uh, those little uh, what do they call them? Little chicklets. <laughs> it's like yeah. little login chicklets. And it just looks it just looks confusing and annoying. It's like you give people too many options, and it just becomes annoying. And, and people use the same username and password everywhere anyway. So we do we do agree on this, and that's we're, we're kind of grimy guts about it. I think <laughs> I don't care. I just don't jump on bandwagons just because there's a few people and get all self righteous about it. You know, I'm just like whatever works and whatever simple. So I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't provide it. You know, I'm not absolutely saying that would never happen. But I'm leaning against it because my experience with it has been annoying. The only time I've used OpenID was in Stack Overflow, and I found the whole experience absolutely frustrating. And now I have all this, I have an orphaned account that I can't get to with a bunch of uh, Stack Overflow karma and questions, and it's just I can never... Well, if you do what, Ruk, uh, what Luke uh, Robluski was talking about, basically just ensure that the whole journeys of your site work to the point where people can engage without even needing to sign up. Well, that's just initially. You ultimately have to sign up somehow. Yeah, yeah. no, I know. We're not even talking about the initial login. We're talking about when you come back later and you're like, oh, but crap. The, but the point of the open ID thing, is, it's the same thing, right? The point of the open ID thing was to make it really fast to, to access people's sites so you didn't have to sign up. That's yeah, the point of the. I understand idea, the right? point of it. So what? So what I'm saying is, is it? It's irrelevant if you use uh, Luke's uh, approach, which is don't have a sign up form. Get users engaged straight away without them even needing to sign up. That's oh, the same. Right, right, so, right. so you've got the benefit of Open ID without needing to get the Open ID, and then when they decide they're going to commit to your site, then you actually have a real relationship with them rather than a kind of surrogate relationship through a, net, a third party. Yeah. Well, the other thing that the guy that he brings up um, in the in the which makes a good point is that. You know, he was having trouble. Like he, he finally, he switched to a new Open ID provider that was really good, and and then all of a sudden they changed their API on him, and this and that happened because I guess the the I don't know the specs have been changing, or Open ID providers are doing different things, and it's down for hours, totally screwed. Oh, that and that just, is ridiculous. And he had a friend of his who's a fellow developer and also a fellow like uh, you know uh, startup founder, and and he's he was really banging like, no, you got to use Open ID for X, Y, and Z. And sure enough, five days later, he got the same problem. His people can log in for hours because of this and the guy was like so he's like screw it i don't care what anyone's doing i'm doing it i'm going old school yeah. email is like it's just stupid it's just like he's like he's like as an individual developer open id fine as a business over i could give a rat's ass about it it was sort of his conclusion which i thought was really funny and um it, but it reminds me of how your your whole experience with with Twitter and stuff because Plugio is built largely on the Twitter API and whenever they change something or decide to shut something down or shut down an IP, you're screwed. Well, and you know I've been screwed as well through being on Rackspace and basically being on on the cloud. But at the same point, at the same time, I I think it's dangerous to kind of go, oh well, just because I was screwed those few times, I should never use cloud services. 
Well, I think always and never are dangerous words to use. <laughs> right. Big, you know, you, you always have to look in the context. And the problem is that people take advice and they do that. They say, well, always do this or never do that. And they don't, sometimes they don't think specifically about the problem at it because they're like, oh, I'm breaking some rule. I can't do it. It's like, well, it's fine to break rules at times. You know, it's, follow not, it's, it's fine to not follow rules of thumb because the rules of thumb, they're not absolute laws of the universe. They're just rules of thumb, and um, and you break rules of thumb all the time, and that's why you learn the rules so that once you know the rules, you know when to break the break rules. Break the rules, yeah. As what I think Luke was saying that right, mm-hmm. um, which is he's absolutely right, and uh, I, I just think that um, you know, for instance, it reminds me of like Microsoft. Uh, they talk about when they build Excel that. Their, their, one of their number one priorities was find the dependencies and eliminate them. Like they had their own C compiler, did everything, so they get absolute things were totally under control and super fast. And Excel was like their best product ever because it wasn't built on all of this, you know, bloated, um, borrowed stuff from all these other products. And yeah, but many developers feel the same way about Microsoft now. Like half the stuff that you de- you develop for Windows, you ha- you know, it's based on so many of the uh, Microsoft libraries. Well, exactly. Well, they even internally didn't want to do that. Their own Excel team said, "We're not going to use libraries from these other products." Oh, I see. Okay. They kind okay. of put up so a moat. They, they put a moat around themselves and said, "We're making ourselves awesome. We don't care about anyone else. If you got a problem with it, go pound sand." You know, <laughs> and uh, you know, like I said, I'm not saying that that's always what you do or anything. I'm just saying that you have to be willing to um to break rules and i think that also i think you have to be careful relying on third-party services because you know reliability problems always seem to happen because you're you mean even your own sites can have reliability but you don't want to magnify your own reliability times the reliability of all these other services well it certainly made a difference moving off the rackspace shared hosting onto rackspace single server instance right i mean now it's just much more stable like it's faster, it's just generally better, and I'm just once again I've got this moat around me and around Plugio, so I'm feeling much much happier about that now. So yeah, yeah uh, definitely. Um, hey, listen, I've got another one. Um, but I, I got I got something first before we go because it's related. Okay. Go, um, go. but I think you, I think you threw me off. Hold on one second. Oh, <laughs> I have a related. To- I have a related topic. I have a related topic. Um, is is this related? Are you going a different direction? It's it is slightly related because right, it is ahead, about third party service. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So um it's a year since I started Plugio. Right. And one of the things that I decided to do to get money in faster was to do yearly plans. Right. Now I'm kind of rethinking whether yearly plans are a good idea because I've just recently had about twenty customers who've been rebuilt after a year. Completely forgotten what the bill was about. <laughs> And a year later, PayPal basically dings them for another and they're you know, pissed. hundred bucks. And they're, yeah, they're pissed. And they're like submitting reports to PayPal saying that there's been unauthorized attacks on their PayPal account mm-hmm. and just things like that. So that's something to think about. Just, just, I just wanted that's to. That's interesting. Just, I, I, I would, I would personally prefer the, uh, I think the, um, the monthly because mm, you don't, I think it's, gonna... it's, it's kind of continuous. It's it's just sort of this continuous billing. I mean, I guess I see why they do it. I mean, I'm sure. They, well, they argue... do it to save money, right? They they basically think, okay, it's a better. I mean, and it's true. It is a better deal. You know, you you can save twenty percent by paying a year up front. But why do you? But... Why, why does it matter if 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 I mean, you get the money now or you get it later? Um, I mean, I guess it locks them in. So because some percentage of people would do it for three months and quit. But you think that most people who would sign up for a year like it enough that they're probably going to stay with you anyway. 
I don't well, know. It's, it's it's funny. I mean, personally, I actually pre- far prefer to pay a year in advance. This is the this is kind of the reason why I put it there. Because me, that's the way I like to do things. Because I like to get the payment out of the way, and then I don't have to think about it. But y- that year later, when it dings you again, is a little bit. Mm, I don't know if that's good. It's one thing to be billed ten dollars a month, and you see that in your credit card. You're like, okay, yeah, I'm using that. But when you get something that's like hundred and twenty dollars or something, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Right. Unless you're rich, a hundred dollars is meaningful to most mm-hmm. people, and in, in, that makes you really rethink. Like, oh, do I really need this? Because that that took a big chunk out of my bank account or my off my credit card, my credit card balance. So I don't know if I want to do that. But ten dollars a month, it kind of reminds you, okay, am I using this? Is it something I care about? I don't know. I, I, I guess I guess this is something you could test for. You could probably make arguments either way. You know, you get the money, you, the yearly plan. You get people, you get the money in early, no matter what. But maybe it's not well, worth it if a lot of those people are going to come back. And- not, a, not a lot. Okay, I've I've had about twenty rebillings, and of those, there's been one person who's been actively unhappy, oh, and I've just I've refunded them. And then there's been another person who questioned it. Oh, um, okay. so it's basically two out of 20. So I guess, well, that's not, just, well, first of all, two is not much of a sample size. 20 yeah. is not a big sample size. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's so, and there's always that saying that Murphy's law, there's always one more asshole than you counted on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you counted on one and you got kind of two. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, okay. You know, I'm not saying they're assholes, but problems. <laughs> well, I just hope that bloggy your customers don't listen to this show. <laughs> but I'm just saying you got one more problem than you expected, but yeah. that's not that big a deal. Um, all right, so go on. What's your one? Well, I think my, my mine is less related, but I, it was sort of that idea. You know, I told you that Guyon and I built our own password password hashing code. Oh, and you got into a little bit of trouble on the on the uh, texting forums. Well, about that. people are like, "Well, Jason, you know, why are you spending time doing that? You should just, you know, use some code off the web and et cetera." And you know, I'm and sure I, you've I mentioned- answered this already. In I answer, but show. I just want to say that you know, our our code. <laughs> I just looked at it's like 80 lines long. It's like mm-hmm. a one class has like two public functions like check and check and 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 hash and like two private functions. It is super simple and it's really elegant and it allows you to you know to um, you know it salts and stretches. You know stretching is to a password is like you run it through a hashing algorithm like a thousand or five thousand times. So that makes it more costly to um, to try and crack it. Right, yeah. because as, G, as these attacks get, as these CPUs and GPUs get so fast, so much faster, you can, you can, uh, uh, you know, if you do one iteration, it's just not enough. So um, you just run it through the algorithm, say five thousand times, so stretching and salting. And we do a really good job with the um, the randomness. So rather than using like the built-in RAND or MT RAND, which is the Mersenne Twister algorithm, we use the um, what's it, the Dev Random thing on Linux machines, and we use something that's similar if it's a Windows machine. So we check if it's Windows, so it gets like much closer to true true randomness true entropy but why does that i mean yeah not, well, what's not that big stupid, a deal? but why does that matter well i mean it, it, it you could you could you could say well like i think i think a couple things it's uh one the cpus and gpus are getting really fast do you see all those crack all those things that were showing up on on hacker news the last few days about and people using the amazon uh, ec2 um you could you could you could set up like for like two dollars you could set up like some gpu instances and crack all this stuff people mm-hmm. were just slamming through that stuff no problem so you a lot of this built-in stuff that was what was cool like a year or two ago isn't anymore so 
things that might have been seem fine a few years ago, like MD5, are no longer five, and DES and all these other algorithms aren't fine. And even but things- we already, but we already discussed like you don't only allow them to have a login access once every five seconds. Yeah, no, but this isn't like about that. that. This is about people. If someone and don't ever let got- them don't let them get the database. Yeah, well, that's but in case it's right. Like you want to just put another lockdown. And the thing is, is that um, you know I'm generating applications for people. Right. And people may be exporting these applications to their own servers. So things moving around, moving from server to server. It's not like it's my just App Ignite proper. Right. Right. So therefore, I see, I see. So people like, are going to have it on external servers, right? That's they could be running servers. They could say, oh, I'm going to export it to my own hard drive and moving it over. I mean, who knows what they're going to do? How so do you know that, that algorithm is going to like that Unix level algorithm is going to be available on those other servers? Which you mean for the randomness or yeah. for the hashing? Yeah. The hash. Random. Randomness. Um, well, we do. There's, there's one that's standard, and that we do if we you can do a check and see if you can read from the um, the what's it, the dev you random file. And if you can't, if it's if you can't, then we check and see if it's Windows. If it's not, you can if it's not if it's Windows, you can use essentially this com object that provides the same kind of randomness that reads out of the system. Um, and the th- and third, if none of this worked, then it falls back to um, MT Rand, which is a Mercene Twister, which is much better than the standard built-in Rand. And yeah. that's just for generating the, uh, the, the salt. And so we did a good job of putting up the, of, of getting all the stuff in order and it's really sharp. And it's, so here, here's why I did it. One, ours is super random and very, um, very secure and it's simple and I got to learn all about it. So now I understand it very well, as opposed to before we'd be just like, Oh, it's a library. I don't know. I guess it's secure. Right? No, it's good. I mean, look, I, one thing that I've always said is people should build stuff from the ground up so they understand how it works. So right. that's, that's very good. And it's not like, it's like, you know, 10,000 lines and 10 different classes. And if you like, you know, I can understand that would, that would seem a bit much trying to do that yourself. But if it's like one class, Three yeah. or four methods. I mean, you know, come on, give me a break. I mean, we. It's like, it's like, oh, you shouldn't. You should use code. You know, it's like at some point, what, what level are you reusing code? Do I cut and paste every line? I've written a line like that before, so I go find it. And I got to cut and paste it again. Right. <laughs> I can type a new line of code, right? And um, you know, it's just kind of like becomes a matter of degree. And so, in your mind, how is that related to what we were talking about? Oh, we talking about the dependencies. F- uh, I guess okay, right. So because this is this is completely independent. I see. Yeah, yeah, it's just independent. And like, don't, you know, and the thing is, is that all of a sudden with all this GPU stuff, being, being able to, G, first of all, using GPUs for password crossing and Amazon uh, providing access to GPU instances, all the, these, this cracking stuff just became way, way more powerful and way cheaper. So now you're open. You're much more open to these rainbow attacks. So you need to be a little better. And, and like I said, most companies, we say, hey, our stuff's just sitting on our server and our servers are rock solid. We don't worry about it. But App Ignite, you know, these generate okay. applications and databases could be floating around. So, make okay. Noise. Um, so I think, I mean, I'm, I'm out of topics. <laughs> so right, I'm relying I got on lot. you to have That's some fun. great topics. I got, I got, I got plenty. I got plenty. <laughs> and we can meander as normal. Okay. So, um, there was an article called faking it. Oh yeah. Um, that was, uh, Written, I can't even pronounce his name, Sahil Lavangia. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if I can't pronounce it. Um, I'll put a link to it. But, you know, it's talking about, like, we've talked about this before, about the idea, like, how Reddit, when they first started, like, if you come to a website and nobody can... And oh, it's they, fake, they fake the customers. They call, it, they call it sock puppeting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Quora. Do you know what Quora is? Uh, well, I've heard the name a few times, but I don't actually know what it is yet. Well, Quora is a site where you can ask questions. People can pose questions and other people answer it. And 
there's a lot of people and not quite not quite like Stack Overflow where it's real technical and you in it, but it's more of like a simplified version, a very simplified version of something like Yahoo, more like Yahoo Answers, I guess. Yeah. But it's really taken off sort of in the Silicon Valley area. You have uh, area like you have a lot of investors and um, people like um, I don't know these angel investors and these high profile people. You know, getting in these big discussions on Quora. I well, don't understand why people keep starting that business. Like it's a business that pretty much shows that it's not going to last. Well, Quora's gotten huge. I mean, I don't know. It's like a lot of these companies that are sort of community building. It's like a low, in some cases, it's low probability it's going to work. But if you have enough connections and you can raise money, like these guys who started were all some of the, uh, I think the guy was a CTO of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Right. So they had some big, some pretty well-known people who had connections within the, uh, within the Silicon Valley area and they had, they raised a lot of money. And so if you get, if you can leverage all that and build something that's big enough, then you're, you know, just for the community itself, you can get. You but, know, bought, but the very bought. principle of it, right? The very principle of it is basically domain-specific knowledge, and um, what 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 will happen, and what's been proven to happen for you know over the last few years, is that these sites get more and more specialized. So essentially, the big sites just end up being a complete waste of time, and it's bad, a bad a bad kind of execution and investment. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't know. Just because something happened a few times doesn't mean it's a like I said, an absolute law of the universe. <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> But it's it, it's pretty likely. Do you know what I'm saying? That you that you that you think that if community sites don't work, just or like answer sites don't work because they get too specialized. I think that I think that overarching answer answer sites aren't going. It's like it's the same way as portal sites. You know, the, when the internet first started, there was all these portal sites that had all these overarching themes. But then as time goes on. It, life becomes more and more specialized sites become more and more specialized so if you start an answers site if you if you don't do something like stack overflow do where they create stack exchange and they do all of these different specialized versions then i don't know what hope it has because it's just so generalist uh yeah i don't know i mean it's what's kind of interesting is that i mean i don't you I, I think i have a core account i haven't I don't think I haven't asked any questions or answered. I've followed a few. I, I know Peldy is following me. <laughs> so, like, right. Oh, that's, that's nice. I think that, I think that happened. That's the only thing I remember. I got a notification that he was following me. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, I think a lot of it comes down to how it works, how the execution and how it's almost like initial starting conditions. Right. Like who are the people on it, and who, and what kind of community evolves around those initial people, those initial personalities, and how is the environment cultivated by the, um, you know, by the the curators, and you know, I think a lot of it's dependent on that because if you, right now in Quora, there's a lot of you know big deal people in the sort of startup investing world that are on there. And so people are following them and getting communication with them because, you know, so as it's, I've, it's about, it's not about subjects. It's about followers kind of thing. Cause it's very I, similar to, and it's about influence and I mean, you start out in conversation. Okay. What's the ultimate goal of it? I mean, there's a couple goals. One in the short term goal is to like, Hey, I want to learn something. I want to ask a question and I want to hear what people think. Right. So that's useful. Right, you're asking, mm-hmm. you're asking a group of angel investors about something related to that field, and you get some very well thought out answers from these people. 
So that's very valuable in the short term. So what's people in interested in answering? So if, as you do it, you build up influence. And as we've know, as we've uh, is was well understood, influence is incredibly important. And um, if you know whether you acquire it, acquire it you, via blogs or Twitter or Quora or whatever. I mean, you want if you want to make things happen in this world, you need to be able to. Um, you know, leverage some influence. Okay, I see. So it's it's different to something like Yahoo Answers, where basically anyone just goes along and shoots any question, and those questions are like hanging in midair. They're like apples on a tree. Whereas this is more like it's kind of like Facebook, but about questions. So you you set up your social networks, your social circles, and essentially you you dialogue with them about stuff. Yeah, it's really simple. In fact, I was thinking I'm going to gener- I'm going to use AppIgnite to generate a Quora clone just to show. Just as another example app that could be generated. Okay. You know, um, that's one. That's when I have a list of about twenty five or thirty sample apps that would be you know perfect things to try and generate with AppIgnite. Um, but uh, I don't know. What do we get on AppIgnite? Yeah, what do we get on Quora? What do we get? As I was going to say, what was your what was your original point? I've forgotten. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's who cares. <laughs> so, um, oh, faking it. Oh, yeah, 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 faking, faking it, right? So, I, I guess I read it, faked it. Quora staff <coughs> did a; they did the same thing. They went on answered. They would spend hours and hours answering questions themselves, um, just like Reddit did, and that helped a lot, right? Because people don't want to get on a, and use a community site that nobody's nobody's using. Yeah. So, and the other part, another one is that they're talking. He's talking about this company that has like real time numbers, like how many people are on this site right now. So, if there were six people, for instance, they they would. Yeah, online at any given time, they would multiply that by some random number. So we show 68 people online right now, right? So when people felt like, oh, other people are using this site, other people are interested in this, maybe it's worth my time being on here too. Social proof. Right? But that's, I mean, it is kind of sneaky, but anyway, I mean... It is, it is. As, I'm just as, saying it's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I well, mean, yeah. as entrepreneurs, you, you pretty much have to do stuff like that because if you don't, then... Your business you won't take off. If you so. create a community, if you create, if you're creating a community where it's dependent on the value of being on there is, is sort of proportional to the number of people using it, um, or there's some relationship there, then it's it's important to you probably ha- it's probably hard to do it without doing that. And I think most companies have done that, and it's kind of like this wink and a nod thing that they've all done. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, it's not harming anyone. It's just sort of we're trying to look like we're a little bigger than we are. We're still they're still getting the same value out of it. It's like Monty Python. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sixty-eight people on here. Come on, sixty-eight people. Come on. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, it kind of reminds me of the um, it was an article I just read it last night called um, yeah, how to how to use the seven deadly sins to turn your visitors into customers. Oh, nice. Um, That's so, a, that is actually a really good title when you think about it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, anytime you put a number in a title, that helps. <laughs> No, it's not so much the number aspect. It's the seven with the deadly sins. Oh, I'm, I know the deadly I'm sins aspect. <laughs> That's true too. But they also throw the number in there. That always helps. Um, it's better than if they just said deadly sins that turn visitors into customers. The seven deadly sins. So anyway, like the number one, the first one was pride, which is that you know by showing by showing your customers that hey, all these other big brands, all these big companies use our product. It makes people, we have a natural pride, like, well, hey, the big shots, I want to be a big shot, too. We use this, too, just like they do, right? Mm -hmm. And that was one pride. Two was gluttony, which is that you kind of have, like, unlimited or all-you-can-eat plans, right? (laughs) Because gluttony is beyond just, you know, food. It's just consuming more than you need, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, I think (laughs) Flickr has done that. Like you said, I think all the main sites actually use this. I think uh, SurveyMonkey... 
I mean, all these employed this sort of unlimited, you know. The third was sloth, which is like, you, you want to make the stuff as easy as possible. Like, like the site does as much for you as possible, and it appeals to sort of laziness. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to make things seem, and you hear about, you keep using, hearing the term, it's dead easy, right? Dead simple to do X, Y, Z. I keep, I can't wait till you get to, a, to adultery. <laughs> well, that's not a deadly sin. Oh, isn't it? No, that's what? one of the Ten Commandments, but not oh, a deadly sin. Okay. Um, for, I don't know my sins well enough. For um, maybe you just erase them from your mind so that you don't have to feel bad about them. <laughs> <laughs> so number four was, uh, I was going to say it. So you keep hearing people like you'll see, like, I don't posterous started this. And I think a lot of sites copy the sort of the language, which is it's dead simple. And I'm just like, oh, please, nobody say dead simple anymore. Just don't right. say dead. We're passionate about a product and it's dead simple to use. <laughs> Like, do I have to hear that again? Can somebody use it, come up with another phrase to describe that it's easy to use? So go on, number four. Four, it's envy. So achieving status like mayorship and, and Foursquare. Like, oh, this guy uh, is. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to I be the mayor. You know, why does he <laughs> be the mayor, right? <laughs> this, uh, this is brilliant. Okay, go on, next. Well done. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And like another thing is like these invites. So like, you know, I guess there was a new browser called Rock Melt. Um, and it's like the only way that you could use it is by getting like a, an invite and the way that one way to get an invite is so you'd be envious of these other people you see on Twitter and stuff have invites and you don't get one. And one way you can do it is by using Twitter to um, tweet like a, an invite code. Yeah. Uh, which is something that I think I'm going to, well, I'm going to use. I think that's a really good idea from magnifying your uh, list of people who are interested in using it and say, Hey, you know, the people who are in the first group, just, you know, write a tweet about it and you'll be in the first group. <laughs> Right. right and early and that really can magnify that number and you know, it's just it's fine it's like hey you know if you want to just give me a you know you know take 10 seconds help help us out right um next the fifth is the fifth is lust. the fifth sin is lust okay mm-hmm. and this is you know lust is usually thought of as an excessive sexual desire but on the web it it translates to like buying sexy shiny things that uh you know that we not all of us can afford so apple well, you know, it's just showing, yeah, but it's showing, it's showing this, the, you know, these really pretty images of these cool looking products and stuff. Like, you know, the example that they use are like Rolex website and, you know, Volkswagen's website. They show like these really great videos and images of these, this slick looking products. Okay. What was the sixth one? Greed. Um, so, like, greed, for instance, is, um, is defined as an ex- overly excessive pursuit of status, power, and wealth. And it's desire to have more than you need or deserve. The the way that translates on the web is like you know t- followers. Like I want more Twitter followers. I want more dig followers. I'm greedy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people want they want more, right? I got 100 followers. I want 200. I got 200. I want 500. I want 500. I want 5,000. And the seventh sin is wrath. And um, I guess one thing that the way Amazon leverages wrath is that they will post like the um the comments of the of the, of the um the reviews and they'll put up the top like the the most critical like the most favorable and the most critical reviews and they will put them up top and show them next to each other so it kind yeah. of get the controversy going yeah and another one is i guess there's a site called the consumerist which allows people to go on and vent their frustration with different you know companies and, and products get satisfaction is I guess satisfaction. That yeah. So that was kind of a that was a clever post. I yeah, very much so. Very impressed. Clever. I'd like so, to see one about the Ten Commandments now. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm I think really curious you. to see you how adultery that. can well, work. Set up here. Go right here. That's when she'd write the Ten Commandments. That's called a micro opportunity. 
that is a micro opportunity. Do the Ten Commandments of uh, Bootstrap Startups. That's got that's got your name all over it. No. Come on, you can do that. <laughs> do it. Maybe. Okay. Well, let's take a break and talk. Uh, let's talk. Let's get a status report on Swarm and your secret project and all that. I want to hear. You do. I do. Okay. Um, well, Swarm has pretty much taken a back burner um, because myself Uh-oh. and Sebastian are working on the whole think tank brainstorming tool. Okay. Uh, which we're kind of obsessed with. Um, because we think Swarm's great, right? But the problem with Swarm is the path to making money is a long one, a very, very long path because there's lots of education involved. There's lots of software to be written, lots of platforms to take it to. And it's just kind of complicated and just educating people to buy that whole new game and give you money for a game is, yeah, it's good. It's kind of a long road, right? And I'm not saying that the other brainstorming thing isn't a long road, but um, businesses, pe- pe- people who would be more willing to spend money have a need for this right now. Like it's a pain point, you know, mm-hmm. um, bra- good brainstorming tools basically is it's something that's useful and it's a pain point. So that's well, kind you, of know, we're you know, one thing on it's, I think it's okay. Normally I would say it's kind of probably not a good idea to like just leave swarm behind, you mm-hmm. know, because like you, you plug you and then you leave behind for swarm and then you swarm and you leave it behind for, you know, think tank. Like, I wonder, is that a good idea? I mean, should you be just moving on to other things or should you like, you know, stick with something for a while and really put some more time into it? But one thing I would say about Swarm is Swarm's not going anywhere. It's not like anyone else is going, it's not like there's going to be a Swarm competitor, right? It's just sort of its own little thing. So you can let it sit and come back to it in six months or a year. It's fine. There are other things and most things you can't do that very easily. Well, because if it, if it, if it, if it's good, other people are going to start doing something similar, and then you're just going to lose whatever market share you had. Well, one of the things that you've got with App Ignite is this kind of burning passion to make it happen and yeah. to see it to see it go, and that's something that I I really have about this this brainstorming tool. And well, you I've did got, have it with you did have it with Swarm too. I did. Ha- I did. I, well, I I kind of do have it with Swarm, but I've got it with both of these things. With Plugio, I've kind of lost it. <laughs> You're, you're like you're these guys. You like those people who like falls in love like every six months. Oh, it's the love of my life. Right, <laughs> the love of my life. Like what happened? Oh yeah, we broke up. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> it was the love of your life six months ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But this this new person, then like six months. Like, you could be right. You could be right. We, yeah. we grew apart in six months. <laughs> you grew apart. I mean, it, it is the kind of the <laughs> the caricature of me that my friends say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, basically. Oh, okay. So, okay, let's talk about Think Tank. Uh, no, I don't, I don't really have anything to say about well, it. Well, it good, it's good for the show, right? Because it's variety, right? We don't have to hear about, you know, it's not like people were stuck on Plugio for right. years. It's like, you know, I just talk about App Ignite, you know, for the most part in terms of my project. With you, it's like every six months we get a new project to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. it works for the show. All right, well, um, tell us about the status of App Ignite. When's that freaking thing going to be launched? Yeah, so Neville was, dig- cause he was digging into me. He was giving me some body blows on the, on the, on the comments. Yeah. He was calling it App Tease. <laughs> I was like, nice, App Tease. So I told Guy on, I said, you know, we, look... <laughs> I guess we're going to have to release something that's not quite ready and, and just kind of deal with it because, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, we don't want to, we get too many people are getting, uh, impatient. Maybe we should get it out there. Even, even if it's going to be a little embarrassing and some things aren't going to be where, near where we want them to be. But anyway, that said, so this week, um, I got working the whole, um, account style registration. So for instance, 
there's two kind of um, there's two kind of uh, login uh, sort of user systems that I see. Two primary ones. One is user based. So like Reddit or Dig would be a user based account, right? Everybody is is it's an account of one. Yeah. Right. One one user one account. And then there's things like Basecamp, which is you set up account and you and you invite or add in other users to your account, right? I mean, you could you could set up a base account, a, camp, a base camp account, and have one person in it, but it's it's um it's one to many, right? Mm-hmm. So and and that 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 all works a little different. There's some other complications, and it and I had to change my code a little bit in terms of okay, so you know the queries have to work a little differently. So if you're like searching for let's say a project management app, and you're like list projects, well, all of a sudden it's projects within that account that could be created by other users, but they all have to be part of the same account. Mm-hmm. Right. So it definitely changed the query logic. It contains login and registration systems had to change. Um, even everything had to, I mean, not everything, but a lot of things had to change. So I got that working this week. Um, and the main reason I got that working right away is I wanted to, um, I wanted to get to generate an, an, a clone of the uh, 37 signals iterations, a uh, little uh, post I wrote about. We mentioned this in the last discussion show. Yeah. 37 signals. It, released a blog post describing an internal tool they use called iterations, which really leverages these concept of like agile teams where anybody can uh, sort of submit an idea for an iteration on a, on one of the products. And other people can say, yeah, that's a good idea. And not, or not only is that a good idea, but I'm in, I want to work on it. And people can comment on it, comment on it. And that way it gives you a sense of like, okay, if a lot, of, we have a lot of buy-in. People want to work on these things, or want. I think these are things are done. It helps us figure out what we should be working on, and helps sort of get all the feedback and everything. So, how how close are you to releasing that? Well, that's good. So, there's there's one more like um, uh, thing I need to be able to generate, which it wasn't generate, which it doesn't, which is the idea of uh, which what we describe recursive um, queries. Yeah. So, for instance. The way it works now is it's not recursive. So if I do a list of projects, it doesn't, it'll do roll up things like num tasks, num comments, or things like that. But it doesn't have, in a list of projects, it have underneath it like a list of tasks shown below the list of projects. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or like for another example would be sort of in um, Facebook, we say a list of updates and under each update could be a list of comments. Right. Or and then under each comment is a list of people who made that comment kind of thing. Something like that, right? So that's recursive. And um, <clears throat> so it, it takes a few things. It's not just about writing the queries. It's about how do we set up the structure between the uh, partial templates and stuff and everything. So um, I'm going to probably work on that this weekend and uh, maybe I can get done early next week. But then I think we'll have all the generation capability in place that I need to generate it. Mm-hmm. And then generate it takes no time at all. And then, like, so then after that, all I have to do is is, is uh, change some CSS to make it look pretty. And then I think I write a blog post, say, "Hey, check this out: iterating, uh, generating an iterations clone in minutes." I think that might be kind of cool. Yeah. But I had a um, a uh, a guy a guy who who uh, is another freelance coder who lives near me here in Pasadena. Oh yeah. Pat Maddox, who um, go patmaddox.com. And he's, a, I guess he's pretty big in the Ruby community. He's done a lot of work on RSpec, speaks a lot of conferences. And he initially emailed me because of the post I written called Bootstrapping, you know, Startup with Three oh, Kids. the one you wrote about the kids, yeah. Yeah. And um, he emailed me and said, hey, I live down the street. We should grab lunch. And so we've had lunch a couple times. Um, and uh, one thing he had emailed me, he's like, hey, he's like, you know, I have an idea for this really simple app. Could you, could you generate it for me? 
he's like, obviously I could do it. You know, he's a root rails guy, but he's like, you know, he's working on a, he's working on a, like a, a mobile app right now. And he, I think he, that's, he's either consulting. So he's doing consulting work and he's working on his mobile app. So obviously he doesn't want to spend time doing something else that he shouldn't, ha- shouldn't. But I think this is something he like, if he could generate, it'd be cool to have. Yeah. And I said, yeah, there was all, although, except there was one or two things, generation stuff I was going to have to add to make that work. Um, and one of it was like generating, auto-generating emails based on a form submission. I think it's cool that you're getting real coders who want to use it. Well, it just shows you that like, look, I mean, he's a very high-powered coder, right? Speaks at conferences, worked on big high-profile stuff. He's very competent. He could build it, build something like that on no time using Rails. But still, it's still going to be an order of magnitude more work than just generating it for the mm-hmm. few point clicks. Right, because coding is not trivial. Even coding trivial things uh, is not always trivial, right? It just takes time to set up a project and think it through and write some code. It just takes work. Mm -hmm. So, if you can get a guy who's works in a different language than say PHP, because in the end he doesn't care. It's like just generate. I mean, that people use WordPress. They do build stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I actually I've started using WordPress for a few different things recently, and I found it fantastic. It's just it's just fast. It's just faster to get stuff out there. You know? Yeah, I mean, but why would you, I mean, but you don't hear people in the Ruby or Python community say, oh, I'm not going to use WordPress because that's PHP, blah, right? No. They don't care. It doesn't no. matter. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It's just like, look, you know, I do WordPress. I want WordPress, get a blog, get a, you know, basic CMS or blog up or something because I got other stuff I want to do. And I think Epic Night could fall in that same thing. So, you know, it's like, hey, if I can generate it in uh, five or 10 it's minutes. It's just the fact it's not open source. That's the problem. That's what you're going to get most developers saying. It's, it's pretty... The, if, if developers is your target market, it, which I don't think it is, and I hope it's not going to be, the, the real issue is going to be the fact it's not open source. It's just no, a no, huge... See, well, the, the, the generated code will be open source. They can have it, right? Hmm. They don't need to be the code that wrote the code, right? It generates the code. It's not a framework. It's not like you can't use the underlying framework because there is no framework. There's like four or five utility uh, file classes that you like formatting and validating and password. So basically, the the code that's generated is open source. Now, when you say open source, does that, does that mean they, they can, can resell it? it? Yeah. Well, what I'm, I think I think I think my plan is I mean, we'll see. I mean, none of this is set in stone, and it really depends on how we price this thing. But I think what we'll allow people to do is that if you want to export your code and run it on the server, have at it. Right, but then how, because the feeling you're going to charge is, them a lot for that, right? Well, I mean, I th- I think ultimately our, our 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 pricing will be reasonably high. It's not like we're going to have like a nine dollar version of this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know if the low end is thirty nine or ninety nine or whatever it is going to be a month, but or, you know, it, you know, and piece people can hear in our conversation with uh, David Cancel. He makes some really interesting dis- really interesting discussion around this topic. But the point is that the discussion I had with Guy on the other day was based on this is like look if people can't export the code I think people might be kind of nervous about that and mm-hmm. they can't do any customization because sometimes it's like the code will be 98% there they just need one function mm-hmm. that ties into something one or two custom functions or they need you know and it's like and that'll kill it if they can't do that but if you should be able to do that through hooks though I mean you know what WordPress you can you can get it just about every every aspect of it via hooks and same with Drupal, so there's right. there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to do that. But like, you still have to host that locally, right? You don't you don't do that on WordPress.com. No. Yes. Yeah. yeah. See what I mean? 
Yeah. So, right. So you can run it on ours. You can, if you can generate the whole thing and you don't need any custom code, then you can run it on App Ignite on our hosted service. But if you're, if you want a bunch of custom code, probably what we'll have to do is, is run that on your own. Now, the thing is though, you'd be like, well, aren't people just going to generate the app and then they're going to kill their account and not pay continue monthly account. But the pro- the thing is that if they need to make any changes to it, it's going to be infinitely more cheaper to be paying a monthly fee to be able to go in and edit and change and add fields and change models and do stuff than it is to hire a coder to go in and do it by hand because you exported it and shut down your account. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a very good point. It's like, you know, we, it, may be, it may be seem expensive because you're paying a monthly fee to uh, something you're not using every month necessarily, but it, the one time you got to go hire a coder to do it, it's going to cost you five times more. Then Affignite as a word makes a lot more sense because if... if if you even kind of pitch that, you know, mm-hmm. App Ignite, you can use it to ignite your app. So basically you can amortize the creation of the the app and because usually you you spend a lot on the coders to to build this. You'd spend a couple of hundred thousand, right? So what you can do to get the first eighty to ninety percent of the way there is use App Ignite, then export it. That is kind of interesting. And yeah. I, I don't think that it should be kind of cheap. I, th- I do think that it should be like at least a thousand bucks to get it off. But a thousand bucks to get 80% of the way there is seriously good value. Well, yeah, and, and it may not have to be that expensive. We may have ways that we can, you know, have a lower end that's it's cheaper. I mean, but um, I'll probably start lower and that way I can grandfather in people who are early. Right. Right. We have a cheap version because I, I want to make some sales out of the gate. Right. So yeah. like a lot of the people on the early beta list who want to get in, I'll probably give them a really good deal to get in early, you know, and I'll say, look, you know, this price may go up significantly, but I'll grandfather you in. Yeah, just um, we'll give them the time pressure thing. Give them a week. Look, you know, if you sign up within the next week, you get yeah, this. Well, price. I'm definitely going to do something like that. Absolutely. And they can either choose to to jump on and, and at that point get the sort of intro price, but knowing that's probably going to go up. Um, but e- even if it is kind of expensive, it'll probably be cheap. If, 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 for instance, let's say that you're a freelance coder, right? And you do a lot of web development and you could bid on projects and be like, wow, you know, I could generate most of it and then just write a few custom functions, charge them 15, 20, 30 grand. Then it'll take me like, you know, eight hours of work to do the custom stuff and I'm done. You know, that would be a huge win for freelance developers. That would be an. That would be yeah. I agreed. If if it, if it lives up to that promise, I'd be very mm-hmm. impressed. Um, so. My my only thought is, as always, is there's so many different kind of nuances to what you want to create, and how you know how can this cover all of those nuances? Like the more the the more you talk about releasing a new thing on it, a new app, like for example, this iterations thing. You've had to go and rewrite it so that it well, can deal no, with new no, stuff. No. I mean, these are all things that were in, like I knew I was going to have to add, right? I knew right. you're going to have to have account, right? I mean, when I listed the 25 or 30 apps that I said, these are the kind of apps that we need to be able to generate. Mm-hmm. I mean, a huge percentage of them were apps like that, like Basecamp, right? Mm-hmm. And there's another, there's one other additional uh, sort of um, com- um, level of complication that I need to add, which is that when you have uh, roles, so for instance, let's say you do like um, Elance, right? You have service providers and you have co- people who provide freelance services and companies that are advertising projects. So you log in, if you log in as a service provider, you log in as a, you know, a, as a purchaser of projects, you're going to see different things, have different options, right? Well, yeah. And that should so, be done through, probably through, gr- through groups so that you can essentially exactly. double up um, or roles, however you want to call it, roles or groups. So well, uh, that's a next level added. But I'm going to launch before doing that. But that'll that'll open up another level. But if you if you if you look at it that way, there's there's not that many different ways to do a web app that people normally do. 
you know, groups data is driven. tough. So, I mean, because for example, think about Facebook, mm-hmm. how the how the groups would need to be done. So it's kind of like your private your private group of friends. Maybe maybe you should have a roles concept and a groups concept. Maybe they should be two separate things. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, is that. You know, you try and get the simplest thing first, and then you yeah. and you kind of go outwards from there. So we get the, you know, one 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 user one account, and then you have mul- you know one account multiple users option, and then you have you know accounts or users, but you have roles possibilities, um, and then the other way, the more advanced than that might be like building an automatic like um, customizable um, um, grouping for like social networks kind of stuff. That might be one more level that's a little more complicated, but that's okay. You know, we can grow out from there. We don't have to do, be able to generate every single app. I mean, not everybody's generating a Facebook every week, right? Hey, I, I know something else I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, just, do you mind if I change the subject? I guess. Was, was there stuff you wanted to finish off on? <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Um, so, you know that blog post I put up, um, how to start a successful bootstrap web app business uh, with a 12 hours no, of audio? No, what, what post is that? That was the one that we were talking about at the beginning of the show. I well, know. Well, in the comments on Hacker News, uh, and I was talking to you about this a little bit offline, okay. like basically the, the most highly voted comment on Hacker News is, question, how do you start a successful bootstrap web app business? Answer, don't spend 12 hours listening to podcasts. I just right. wanted to say that I thought that was, although maybe slightly humorous, it's like totally not getting the point. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, you, you, there are definitely lessons to learn from these people. We've learned a lot. Yeah. And it wasn't like we didn't know anything about this space. We're not dumb guys. We have paid attention. We read stuff. But every single time you interview somebody like, um, like Luke or David Cancel or Patrick McKenzie, you learn stuff. You learn some very specific things that can really help you um, be successful in building cool software or launching startups or whatever. But it's weird to me that this many people basically say audio is, is, is a bad medium. There's no well, point in audio. And I don't understand that. It's like well, audio is like a fantastic medium for learning. Yeah, well, some people are, people like just to read. They don't, I've, one thing I've noticed is that listening to podcasts is sort of like a, sort of like a, an infrastructure habit. Like you, you kind of got your, you're at your iTunes and you got your iPhone or whatever and the things, and you've subscribed to podcasts and it syncs and you're in the habit of listening to it when you go and run or doing chores around the house or you're eating lunch by yourself or you're commuting, right? Yeah. Everybody has sort of their, their habit. And, and if you're not in the habit of doing that and it's like, oh, so I have to listen to this while I'm at the computer and I can't really code while I'm listening to it. Well, then it's, Screw it. I guess then it seems like a pain, right? You're like, well, then, why, yeah, do, why like do I you... have to change my life to, to get this information? Yeah, it's frustrating. You know, they, that's why they're always like, well, I want transcripts because I want to scan it or they want to read, read it on their iPad or whatever. Well, or they print should it out learn a new way of doing things. Like, I mean, we had to go through that. All the other people who listen, who listen to podcasts basically had to one day make a decision. You know what? People think podcasts are kind of useful. Let me, let me give it a go, right? Well, rather, than, rather than just coming to this, you know, a, a site like this and saying, eh, no, don't spend 12 hours listening to podcasts, they should give it a go, you know? Well, yeah, it's fine to say that, but, you know, people aren't always interested in changing the way they do things, right? They're, like, perfectly happy. They don't want to listen. They're not in the habit of using it, of listening to podcasts, and so it just seems weird to them. But if you think about it, I mean, for me, I spend a lot of time doing things where I would like something to listen to. I mean, I eat lunch by myself a few days a week where – you know, because I work at home, I just want to get the hell out of the house for an hour. Sometimes take a break and go grab, and I don't want to always eat, you know, a sandwich or something. And so, and, I, and it's only sometimes I have somebody to eat lunch with. I mean, I 
occasionally I eat lunch with like Isaac from Central Desktop, and I have you know Pat and I are starting to have lunch, but rarely. But it's not a regular thing. So if I'm sitting there just staring at the wall, that kind of sucks, right? And when I work out, when I go to the gym and I'm on ice and I get on one of these cardio machines like elliptical, I mean it's pure hell to be on those things. And the only thing that helps it makes it a little less hell is to actually have something to listen to. Yeah. I don't know. Not a lot of people are doing that. Maybe they don't eat lunch alone. They're always eating at their desk with other people, and maybe they don't go to the gym, and maybe they ride to work, and they don't commute by themselves, or they ride to work with a friend, in which case they're never alone, just kind of wishing they had something to listen to. Well, some, someone's response um, to this was, uh, the comment above, while maybe tongue-in-cheek, is short-sighted, to say the least. And then someone else commented to that and said, I don't think it was short-sighted. I think his point, while partly intended to be funny, of course, was that spending 12 hours to inject a certain amount of information is inefficient if the same substance could have been gleaned much more quickly in the form of text. So, I don't know. I mean, that's interesting, but um, what do you think? Yeah, but then, but I, like I said, you know, okay, if I'm, if I'm on the elliptical, say, working out, it's not like when I'm listening to a podcast that is not interfering with me getting work done. I'm, I'm able to get information in at a time when I would be not getting information in yeah. to my brain, right? But if I'm reading something off the computer screen, I could be working. That's where like Hacker News and things like sites like that can be a real productivity killer because you could be writing code. Instead, you're reading about how other people are yeah, building. Yeah, it's true. Podcasts are productivity enhancements, not productivity killers. You just need to understand how to work with them. Yeah, you, do, you listen to them when you wouldn't otherwise be doing anything else. You're in a situation where you really can't or not in the mood to do anything else and um that's how i see it i mean that's how i use it i don't i generally don't listen to podcasts while i'm sitting at my computer working um because they're occasionally there's there every once in a while i can listen to stuff that is sort of low information and it's just sort of like i can i can actually think and write code while they're talking because they're not really talking about anything that's that complicated or i'm that interested in but even still, it's sort of hard. No, I can't to, even do that. I, I just, I, you know, when I listen to podcasts, is when I'm doing the washing up or something like that. When I'm doing basically chores, chores, yeah, doing the dishes, much. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I don't know. You, you, you need to always balance between sort of, you know, do, getting things done, doing things yourself, learning things your own way, and also just hearing about other people's war stories and what they've learned and tricks they've that have worked out for them and, 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 and keeping note of those because you'll miss out a lot if you don't ever learn from other people and you'll waste a lot of time. If the only way you learn is by reading stuff when you could actually get the same information in your, in your head at a time when you aren't sitting at the computer. Well, but what do you think of that um, show? Do you think that, uh, I got, uh, I got two quick ones. Go on then. Two yeah, ones. You one is do. the one, the 1000 hour rule. <laughs> yeah. What's okay. that? Um, it was it was kind of funny. This uh, basically, I think the guy's wrong. Uh, he goes, um, let's see, here he goes. Guy Young, his name is Young Fook. Why no, it's not. Okay, Young Fook. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> That's not his name. That's it. Thoughts on marketing, business, and geckos. I'm not listening to anyone called Young Fook. Young Fook, and uh, <laughs> he calls it the one thousand hour rule. Yeah, and he's talking about how. Malcolm Gladwell, based on Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers book, The 10,000 Hour Rule, and we've talked about that, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert in anything, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And, but he's saying that he thinks it takes 1,000 hours minimum to create a, uh, a business, a startup. 
right? Like you're not going to get rich off an MVP that you built in a weekend. You're not going to sign up a thousand customers on a prototype, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was reasonable. But he made one comment that was, I think was absolutely wrong. He says, um, I'll read the thing he says. He goes, um, he goes, I Gladwell might suggest that to be successful in a startup, you need to have 10,000 hours of startup experience or domain experience under your belt. That I don't deny. It seems quite matter of fact. That you what? have to have 10,000 hours of startup experience to, to create a product. I mean, how many of these Y Combinator startups did, were started by people who, they were, they were undergrads. They had taken a few classes in code. Maybe they'd written some code for fun. I mean, they may have. No, he's completely missed the point. You, you, you get 10,000 hours of being a coder or being, a, I don't know, an entrepreneur or whatever, but not a, a specific business. I mean, do you think that Jerry Yang had 10,000 hours of building links? Before Yahoo no, became successful, I mean, no, those, those guys. Even you know, m- most of these most of these guys who started businesses. I mean, even the ones that started big companies, you know, like Google, like Yahoo, like Facebook. I mean, they didn't have ten thousand hours. They weren't old enough. And, yeah. and don't tell me, you know, playing Xbox when you're fourteen counts because it doesn't. I think and, he's just uh, mis- I think he's just not think. He's just written it and not really thought. Well, it's just through. flat out wrong. Is is what it's true. Yeah. It's just flat out wrong. You know, like um. The uh, what was it? The um, the uh, guys who started Reddit. Yeah, I mean, it was funny because listen to was Steve Huffman, who was the sort of the technical co-founder, and he kept saying he's like, yeah, he's like, because he was talking about his new startup, Hipmunk, I think it is. It was Hipmunk, yeah. which is like a flight, a, a travel flight. Um, analyzer or something and he's like yeah he's like it's much faster because this time i don't have to learn how to write web apps of course you, you, <laughs> right? you know what the glaring irony here is you know it right <laughs> you actually do have ten thousand hours with Affignite. you <laughs> right oh by the time i came into Affignite? <laughs> yeah. no you've been writing Affignite for ten thousand hours yeah you're gonna get twenty thousand hours before I... you get that thing out the door Come on, come on. It's not going to be that much longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. You and Neville, everyone else can beat up on me. Listen, ne- <laughs> Neville, was, Neville was giving me a hard time. He actually wrote a follow-up, and he was like, much love. Don't worry about it. I'm just, you know, <laughs> okay, go on, next. But, but let me say one thing he said. He goes, um, I, you know, and I'm going to forget the next topic. We'll just blend on this. But one thing he said was, um, you know, he's just interested and wants to use it, right? And yeah. I, I think it's fine to get some friendly nudges like, hey, come on, you know, enough of the talk, release it. But what I say is, you were the one who got me talking about it, right? So I'm out in the open talking about it before I'm done, which is frustrating for me. I don't like talking about stuff when it's not ready. But, you know, we decided to make that part of the Well, as Rob says, Rob Walling says, you know, start marketing once you write your first line of code. Yeah, of course, he also says release something in three months. So. And in fact, David, <laughs> David Cancel, as people will find out on the next show, basically proves that you don't even need a single line of code before you start marketing. You don't even need anything yeah, other is, than an idea. Which is something Eric Reese talks about in his MVP stuff, yeah. minimal viable product that you can release before you even have a product and landing pages and all that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, you, it, it, it kind of frustrating to talk about stuff when you're, it's not ready. I can't release something that doesn't work. It's solving a really big problem, so it's kind of hard to just say, hey, I'm just going to release this one section of it that doesn't do it. It's just sort of doesn't, it seems kind of meaningless. So, I don't know. Hopefully it won't be that much longer. But um, should, anyway, the bottom line is with this article is that you don't need 10,000 hours before you start working on a startup. No, and that's, you know? that's rubbish. There's plenty of examples of people who weren't even very good coders who kind of taught themselves to code while they got something going. It's like the guy who started, um, what was it, Bloglines? Yeah. Did you remember the guy's name, Bloglines? I, um, I, can't, yeah. I can't remember his name, but he learned PHP while he was creating it. <laughs> For crying I out think, loud. I think we get it. You get it? 
I, I can it. go on. <laughs> oh, please do. I hope you take I up the rest on. of my Saturday talking about this. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave with a quote. Okay. I'll leave with a quote. I, I meant to this is the quote of the day. The key to success for everything in business, science and technology, is never to follow the others. Masuru Ibuka. <laughs> which is also like restated even more simply, which is skate where the puck is going, Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> Right. And nice. I think it's a good question. It's like if, if, if some area is hot and everybody's working on it, I just avoid it. You know, it's it's kind of in a short term bubble. Go work on something that's a little different, you know, if you can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I thought that was really good. That, that was actually in um, Hacker Newsletter. Do you, you subscribe to that? No. A guy named Cale Davis runs a thing called Hacker Newsletter. And he essentially summarizes the top stories and a few other things for the week. And so in case you missed anything. And I subscribe to it in case I missed anything, really. Which would be hard for me to miss anything because I'm on Hacker News all the time. <laughs> but uh, anyway, well, I guess uh, that's pretty much it for the day, right? It's been a great show. I think time we've got to, some good stuff out there. Time to go enjoy the uh, rainy, rainy afternoon, get some work done. God, it's a disgusting day here. I think next week I'm going to talk about, uh, for our, our, I'm either going to write a blog post or I'm going to talk about it, which is how to set weekend goals. Okay. I think that might be interesting. Well, all right. That's a wrap. We're out. We're out.